Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Mapping. Eine rasante und spektakuläre Komödie voller Überraschungen. Ein Wahnsinnsauto. Das muss Mario, ich haben. Finger weg, das ist ein Einzelstück. Manche verkaufe ich eben. Aber ich will mein Geld. Für meine Entwürfe und meine Modelle. Wieso? Die gehören Ihnen doch gar nicht. Die vielen Autos, die müssen unbedingt weg. Ich träume nur noch von Autos. Hermann, mach dich nicht nass. Unser System ist perfekt. Oh, scusi, Carnapping. Bestellt, geklaut, geliefert. Luxusautos auf Bestellung klauen und elegant verschieben. Das ist das Millionengeschäft der Gentleman-Gangster. Es ist so einfach, ein Auto zu stehlen. Öffnen Sie bitte die Motorhaube. Carnapping ist auch die Liebesgeschichte eines Autodiebs und einer Rechtsanwältin. Wenn Sie mich schnappen, kriege ich zehn Jahre. Dich müssen Sie erst finden. Carnapping. Bestellt, geklaut, geliefert. Ich habe hier 45 Autos in Salzburg und 35 Porsche in Paris. In einer Nacht. 40, Herr Polizeipräsident. Also, Sie haben da Bemerkenswertes geleistet. Finden Sie. Also, 50 Prozent. Okay, los. In dieser hinreißenden Gaunerkomödie dreht sich alles um die schönsten und teuersten Autos der Welt. Carnapping. Bestellt, geklaut, geliefert. Wir haben ein Recht auf Informationen. Die haben euch Tabletten reingelegt. Entschuldigen Sie bitte, Herr Baron, dass Sie mit einem einfachen Polizeifahrzeug Vorlieb nehmen müssen. Aber unser Ferrari ist uns leider gestohlen worden. Los, zurück! Carnapping. Bestellt, geklaut, geliefert. Der große deutsche Film mit Luxusautos und einer Besetzung der internationalen Spitzenklasse. Bernd Stephan, Annie Dupere, Ivan Desny, Adrian Hofen, Eddie Konstantin, Adolfo Celli und Michel Galaprü. 
ist denn da los? Wahrscheinlich eine Rallye. Die ist doch gar nicht angemeldet. Verstehe ich auch nicht. Und sagt ja auch keiner was. Es ist immer das Gleiche. Carnapping. Von Ihnen bestellt, von Gentlemen geklaut und prompt geliefert. Natürlich ohne Wartezeit. In Kürze in Ihrem Kino. Übrigens, haben Sie Ihr Auto abgesperrt? Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Das ist Jochen Maas, hallo. Und Sie hören Nostalgic Radio und Autos. Wunderbar. zu Nostalgic Radio und Autos. Guten Abend, meine Damen und Herren. Hier spricht Robert, dein Showhost. I think I got you that time, everybody. Yes, we are doing a special feature on German cars this evening because today happens to be June 8th. Is it the 8th? Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Why does this computer say the 9th? But at any rate, so it's June 8th. At least my, my, my calendar says that. And uh, so today, 73 years ago, the first Porsche, Porsche automobile hit the roads, rolled out of the little barn in Gemünd, Canton, in a little wooden shack. And uh, the very How long ago was that? 73 years ago, today. So I decided, you know, I always try to come up with a theme or something like that. So I thought, you know, me being a Porsche guy, kind of, I thought that today would be kind of a fitting, fitting day to kind of celebrate 73 years of the Porsche automobile. Okay, even though the company was founded in 1931 by Dr. Ferdinand Porsche, um, the actual first car that bore the Porsche nameplate um, hit the road today. It was uh, zugelassen, as we say in German. Ja, zugelassen. Und heute werden wir nur in Deutsch reden und wenn ihr kein Deutsch versteht, naja, ihr habt alle Pech. So geht es. But anyway, uh, we got an interesting show for you now. We got a gentleman coming on a little bit later who is a Porsche treasure hunter. I'm delighted to welcome to him to the show this evening. So that's kind of like what uh, tonight's theme is. So, uh, you know, Porsche 356s were the first cars that were out. And the reason it's called 356 is because it was the 356th um, plan or sketch that they drew that finally became a car. So therefore, it's, you know, and the Germans being very analytic and systematic in the way they do things. So let's say there would be drawing number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. By the time they got number 356, guess what? That actually became a car. Hence, we have the 356, which was the first production Porsche, followed by the 911. And they made some 912s, which were basically 911 bodies with three with uh, 356 four-cylinder engines in them. 911s were all six-cylinders, and then uh, what we have today. But the 911 is still out there, and uh, the car pretty much retains its original silhouette. So, and it's still you know one of the finest automobiles made. Even back in the day, it was extremely well sought after. They made racing versions of it, and the car that we're going to be talking about this evening a little bit is uh, James Dean's 1955. Spider 550. 
or 550 Spider. So that's on the topic. But anyway, Tommy, why don't you go ahead and roll a song here real quick because we had this interview to uh, set up here in a little bit. So you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. Wir kommen gleich zurück. car shows then look no further than flacarshows.com on your computer or on your mobile device flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles whether you're looking for car shows cruise-ins meetups automotive festivals cars and coffees or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine then this is a site for you check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com Okay, wir sind zurück und ihr hört zu Nostalgic Radio und Autos. Hey, Tommy, how are we doing on time? I think we got to get ready for our guest because what we had to do this evening, because today has just been a really weird day, we actually had to do a pre-interview. So we got our guest coming on because, you know, time schedules permitting sometimes, you know, this, that. And I was actually sitting in a truck over the phone doing this earlier this afternoon. And my guest was up in New York on his phone in his truck. So we're both sitting there. He was in an air-conditioned truck. I was in an air-conditioned truck. I actually stopped at Wawa to get diesel fuel just in case, and I had to make sure my radio was on. But anyway, Tommy, go ahead and let's uh, roll the clip, and then let's uh, go to the interview. You tune into Nostalgic Radio und Autos. Yeah, wir sprechen Deutsch. Charlie Sheen. He's stepping out, looking things over, trying a new line of work. Charlie Sheen is Ted Barrick. Crossing the line into no man's land. Don't you think we're pushing our luck? No such thing. No limits. This ain't exactly repo work. This ain't exactly work, period. No boundaries. What about this one? Not too shabby, huh? I only steal Porsches. There's a local outfit stealing Porsches. My money's on the owner, Ted Barrett. Why me? Because you don't act like a cop. Your turn, Bill. Welcome to no man's land. 
And then tune into Nostalgic Radio Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is a avid, well-known Porsche enthusiast and Porsche treasure hunter. Now, today, like I mentioned earlier in the show, is the 73rd anniversary of the first Porsche car that was actually street legal. So, I'm delighted to welcome the show this evening from Porsport, Don Ahern. Don, how are you doing this evening? Very good, Robert. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm tickled to think here. Um, I'll tell you what, I was just thumbing through. I, 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 I'm familiar with your, your, your work and some of your stuff. And, uh, but what really kind of jumped out was, because I'm a big bring a, bring a Trailer fan, is this recent discovery of the Porsche Transaxle that was part of the original James Dean car. So why don't yeah. we go in that direction and see what happens? Tell us how that all sure. came about. Sure. So uh, where do you start with that one? Uh, that was quite an option, and I had always followed Bring a Trailer auctions, but had never uh, really had anything auctioned uh, up until now, and was just blown away by the uh, tremendous response that we got. Uh, I, I think it set some records uh, for the amount of views and for the comments. I mean, the comments were, you know, off the charts. And uh, I actually had somebody handle the auction for me because uh, I knew it was, you know, a job in itself to just handle that auction. Uh, but it went well, and uh, we had interest from all over the planet. And the winner of the auction was Zach Bagan uh, from Las Vegas, who, who will be displaying that at his museum uh, out there in Vegas. So, uh kind of an odd place for it to go, but I'm happy that it will be uh, able to be seen by the public because it is, it's kind of a neat thing. Uh, it's certainly polarizing, but it's a neat thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so that went really, really good. Uh, I don't know where else to really go back. If you'd like me to tell you the story of how but I tell us how you, found how you found the car. Actually, you're a Porsche treasure hunter, so um, I'm yeah. kind of a picker kind of guy myself, so I love getting in the garage just and hunting things down. But you kind of ramp it up a little bit. You do specifically Porsches, so tell us about some of the Porsche finds, and then segue into how you came about the James Dean transaxle. Sure. Uh, so, oh gosh, so with my Porsche finds, I try to find the different and unusual. Uh, you know, I'm not out there looking for, 
you know, common type cars. Um, generally, uh, most of what I find does go on the market and it gets sold. So from that perspective, I, I try to find things that are interesting that maybe people haven't seen before or uh, are hard to find. And that, that goes with the cars and the parts. Uh, and I also try to buy things that I like uh, because sometimes, you know, when I'm buying, I don't, I, it may be something that I decide to keep for myself for a while. Uh, it may not get sold right away. So I try to have, you know, uh, kind of a set of guidelines and, you know, something that's unusual and different and hard to find. That's part of my criteria. And, you know, Porsche, because they're a small firm, you know, most of the cars, I mean, we can almost say that every Porsche is a one of a kind because there are very few that are the same. So when you get into the older cars, uh, you know, it, it's kind of easy to find unique things. Um, you know, especially in the 356 era before uh, the Porsche car became so mainstream, uh, you know, they kind of built the car as the customer wanted it. Uh, so it's kind of cool. Um, so I try to find cars that uh, maybe have been hidden away, uh, have a good story, or were built, you know, in a special way. And and those are, you know, what I go after. And, you know, surprisingly, because these cars are so loved, you know, they're squirreled away really all over the place. Um, you know, just a couple of years ago, uh, out of Brooklyn, New York, which you would never think in Brooklyn. It was actually in the old neighborhood from part of my family, just blocks away from where my great-grandparents lived. I bought a uh, 1968 911 with just 15,000 miles uh, that had been put in that garage uh, about 1970. And uh, it came to me by referral and uh, drove into Brooklyn and rescued that car. Uh, from the garage. In fact, the, the man that put it away uh, had kept it a secret for whatever reason. I still don't know to this day, but his family did not know he had the car until he passed. So there's a lot of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, a similar story, I, I bought a single grill Belgian Roadster out of Troy, New York, upstate New York, uh, that had been put away in a carriage house there in the uh, early 1980s. Uh, the man had bought that car in 1967, and uh, and you know that was rescued just a couple of years ago, and it actually went back to Belgium. Uh, the the Belgian roadsters have quite a following over there, and you know they kind of want their cars back, and they're buying them back and restoring them back uh, in the old country. So you know things like that, and uh, you know what I am finding, you know, is a theory that I had that just keeps proving true. Uh, you know, guys that were into, you know, all types of sports cars from the 60s, uh, you know, they're at an age now where they're either retiring or they're, you know, you know, even passing on. So these cars that have been squirreled away are just coming up one after the other. And uh, so there is a supply, as crazy as that sounds. There, These cars are out there. So is there any... Um technique any i mean how do you get a lot of your leads i mean obviously one leads to another one and you know you after a while you get it's kind of word of mouth um sure is that how you you get a lot of uh 
So um, the leads find the leads are kind of a combination of things. So the leads, um, you know, I originally started out buying these cars from my own collection. I, I was uh, uh, in the real estate business and had got burned by a stockbroker and kind of swore off investing that way. So I started buying cars and putting them away. So that started me uh, in the Porsche world and and trying to find and, and getting to be known. Um, so the way I find the car is it, it's really by networking and, and talking to different enthusiasts and, you know, being, um, you know, having come from the real estate business, you know, I, and from my own dealings, you know, when you deal straight with people and you're kind and you're generous, it, it really goes a long way. And that's kind of how I conduct my businesses. And so when I look for these cars, you know, I could be dealing with a young enthusiast who maybe doesn't have the funds to buy that 356 in the garage. But, you know, I will tell them, look, you know, give me the lead and I'll pay you some money. I'll pay you some fair money. And, you know, maybe you put that toward the car you're building or in your account to eventually buy a car of your own. So it starts out with even young guys. I mean, I bought cars from young guys who've gone on to uh, you know, buy and sell themselves. So it, it's really just about straight dealing. Uh, you know, if someone brings you a car, you know, you kind of have, have to act quickly, uh, especially now because, you know, the word is out. These cars are valuable. Uh, it's not like it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. In, in 2021, everybody knows a Porsche is valuable. Uh, so when the phone rang, you kind of need to be able to, you know, get an image of, of the car that's being described. You need to be able to look at the photos and then act on it quickly. Um, and, and that's really how I get the car. So if you, you know, I kind of say you have to throw the money. And if you're willing to do that, you know, it, it kind of builds from there. So if you're known uh, for being easy to deal with and, and fair and generous, you know, the leads will come. And it's just kind of how it's happened for me. Uh, and that's how so I tell us about the the um, James Dean transactional, uh, according to the article I read, you're actually looking at some other stuff, and that happened to be in there by accident. Right. Yeah, so this is the, you know, typical, you know, you have to be in it to get the leads. You know, you're not going to uh, get the treasure off the bottom of the ocean if you're not in the water. So this was just every day being in it. Um Believe it or not, I, I responded to a listing on eBay uh, for a endurance nose tank for uh, an RS61, which is another car that I have. It's a later Spider, and I wanted that fuel tank. Uh, but, you know, I, I contacted the seller, and uh, he mentioned he had some other parts. So uh, after talking on the telephone, uh, I bought pretty much everything he had. Um, spares for this other spider. And at the end of the conversation, or maybe maybe it was another conversation after that deal went smoothly, uh, this gentleman mentioned to me, hey, you know, I have the transaxle to the James Dean spider. And of course, I lit up. I said, wow, it was a story like, you know, a lot of us fascinated me. And I just thought, you know, my first reaction, like it is, you know, with all 
anything unusual Porsche, I have to own it, whether it's going to be for a short time or a long time. I've got to own it. So I basically, uh, my response was, hey, if there's anything you ever want to do with that, when you're ready, uh, please let me know. And, and that was really it. Uh, I think I might have spoken with, uh, with Jack a couple of times after that about other things, and it never really came up. And then uh, March of 2020, uh, as uh, the world was locking down, my telephone rang, and it's uh, my buddy Jack from Massachusetts. And I, I don't know what, you know, we've talked about since every, you know, every part of the, this whole thing uh, with bringing the transaction to light and then having it sell. But I never really asked them, what, what made you do this, you know, March of 2020 when, you know, the world was upside down? Um, so that answer, I don't know, but that's when he decided he was ready to do something. So at that point, um, we came to a deal and, um, the gearbox was delivered to me in this kind of an Indiana Jones wooden crate, you know, with rope handles on it. And, uh, I unscrewed the lid and there it was. Uh, so, you know, here's a, a gearbox with the axle tubes and the brakes and, you know, it's, it's kind of cool, but, you know, what do you do with it? It's, it's kind of hard to display. It's heavy. It's, it, you know, the axles move around. Uh, so in my optimism, I thought, well, hey, I will track down the guy who has the engine. You know, how hard can that be? You know, it's, it supposedly was with the son of Dr. Estrich, who bought the wreck from uh, the wreck of the 550 from the insurance company. Uh, so I was actually able to track him down. And uh, I, I did get a call back, and uh, we had a conversation about the possibility of buying the engine. Um, but, you know, the numbers uh, that he was talking was just, you know, kind of just to get me off the phone. Uh, it, it was nothing realistic. And, and quite frankly, I, I don't really even know if he has the engine still supposedly he does but no one has ever seen it it hasn't has not been seen i think since the 70s or 60s when it was in the lotus or the potus as they called it so anyhow once i realized i couldn't get the engine um you know i started thinking differently the, the idea was if i could get the engine well i could made it with the gearbox and maybe put it into a you know, a replica chassis, and it would be a great display. So when I couldn't get the engine, I just kind of shortened the idea and said, well, I'll build, I'll have a stand built that is the rear section of chassis, and we'll, we will elevate it off the ground. So, you know, two guys hanging out in their garage drinking a beer can, you know, it's a conversation piece. And that was kind of the best I could come up with, with what do you do with this thing? And, uh, and you know, visitors to my to my garage uh, always got a kick out of it. And you know, it, it was a direct link to you know a very infamous uh, car. That, you know, I always kind of considered that 550 to be the probably the most famous Porsche that ever was. But you know, because of the circumstances, not everybody liked the story. And uh, I mean, read some of the bring a bring a trailer comments, and you can see. So 
uh, you know, it was not something I learned about. Were you concerned about uh, alleged hurt that's associated with all the parts of the car? Yeah, the curse didn't affect me. Uh, I mean, business has been good, you know, while I was in possession of it. And it certainly sold for a lot of money. So, if anything, it was good luck for me. Um, but that was a question I asked Jack. Jack owned it, owned that for 30 years, and, uh, you know, nothing really happened. You know, I, I kind of joke. I was careful taking it out of the crate and uh, and setting it up. But I, uh, I, I think a lot of those stories were kind of folklore and, you know, part of the picture that George Barris tried to paint, you know, to, you know, to kind of make when he owned the wreck to, you know, to, to make the story big enough that you'd want to pay him to have that wreck delivered to your car show or, you know, that car, that wreck was paraded all over the place. It went to different autoramas. I mean, there is a photo of a kid in a, in a prom suit. So it, it must've went to different high schools. You know, it, it was shown all over all over California. So I think the curse part was a Barris thing. Um, you know, but some of it did happen. I mean, uh, Troy McHenry that was in possession of the gearbox, he was killed while racing his 550. Um, it's not really clear whether or not that gearbox was in the car um, or not. You know, I don't know that well, we can ever know that. Um, but, you know, there, there was a repair to the bottom of that gearbox uh, interestingly, there was a weld um, on the bottom from from a crack that would have taken a pretty big impact. So it, it was either from the first wreck or, I guess, possibly uh, the second one, if it really happened. So what's the, the story? I mean, have you followed and researched the actual car itself and what was on tour? Supposedly, it disappeared here somewhere in the Tampa Bay area. It was the last time the car was actually seen. It was being paraded around the country at the time for, by, I guess, uh, safe, highway and safety people uh, as a concern yeah. to young drivers. Uh, yeah, so the, story goes, the story goes it was at, at a show in Miami, actually, and was to go back to California. Um, you know, and, and then the story, it's been told a couple of different ways. Uh, you know, Lee Raskin knows it all by heart, but... From what I understand, I mean, you know, it was either in a in a train car or or a truck. I mean, the story has changed for some reason. Barris had two different accounts, uh, but either way, he claimed that when it was returning from that particular show, that you know the truck was empty or the rail car was empty. Um, some of the old timers that I've talked with out in California say, you know, when it fell out of flavor. You know, they think he may have either done an insurance job or just made it disappear. Um, I know of a pretty reliable account from a really straight and reliable guy that he actually saw that car in 1970. So that would have been 10 years later. Um, there are stories that it was hidden on the roof of Barris's building. Um, I heard another story. He used the aluminum to repair his roof. So but who knows? Um, I... I I don't really think it's in a garage with, you know, an inch of dust on it. I think it was um, disposed of after it, it lost its usefulness for Barris. Um, you know, there was a few years ago that story where, you know, somebody just happened to be under hypnosis and they remembered it being, uh, you know, blocked into a building uh, when they were a kid. But 
you know, I, I if that was really the case, <laughs> I think somebody would be taking a sledgehammer to a building someplace trying to find it, but that never happened. So I think it's very unlikely. Um, you know, that, you know, even when I first announced I had the gearbox, I had a, a call from a gentleman who claimed to have a piece of aluminum from a car. You know, I'm sure somebody has the broken steering wheel, and I'm, I'm sure there were lots of souvenirs. It's just over time, you know, they get lost, and there's really no way to prove, you know, how do you prove that it came from that car um, with the transaxle? Of course, it had a serial number that was, you know, pristine and untampered with, uh, so you could prove it. Um, but, you know, things get hidden away. I mean, I think recently um, the goggles that James Dean was wearing uh, when he crashed that car were uh, kind of just came to light. You know, somebody back in 1955, uh, story goes, a, a local woman was walking the site, found the goggles, and she took them and had them all of these years. And uh, after she passed, uh, they came to light, and they were, I believe, given to the or sold to the owner of the, that general store that's in that area. He has them on display. You can actually Google it. And uh, I know Lee Raskin kind of authenticated them as the type he used, the shape he used, and uh, there are photos of him wearing those goggles. So... Uh, to me, that they're probably a very valuable souvenir. Uh, so, unquestionably, let me ask yeah. you this: John, What got your interest in Porsches? I mean, and are there other cars that you hunt down? No, I, I'm strictly Porsche-minded. Uh, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was into old Chevrolets, and I, I will admit, I do have a couple of old Chevrolets in the corner, but um, I don't have the interest of the passion for them the way you know even close to the porsche brand uh i guess you know i was lucky when i was a kid i had this really cool uncle and uh he had a 356 and then uh, a 68 911 uh, which eventually he sold me um after it had you know fallen into disrepair and you know kind of at a young age i learned very quickly you know where they rust <laughs> where they break and, you know, that car was kind of a disaster, but it, it set me on a path to, uh, you know, find better and, and restore better and all of that. But it was really just uh, just a fascination. And also, you know, being here on Long Island uh, during the summers, uh, we would take trips to the East End and stay out at Montauk. So that trip from, you know, the middle of Long Island where I grew up out to the East End, of course, we would see in the 70s. And You'd see 356s, you know, pretty much everywhere, and and they just fascinated me. I just thought they were so different and so cool. And once I drove one, uh, and then started racing them, of course, I, I I keep getting more and more sold on the brand because they're just such incredible cars. I've I've actually gotten after restoring or finding and restoring, and then racing early uh, early 911s. Uh, I've kind of gotten back into 356s for whatever reason and, and uh, kind of having a love affair all over again with, with, with those cars. They're just so much fun. And uh, I can't really drive anything else uh, as far as old cars. I, I, you know, I have a friend uh, that collects 240Zs and, you know, he recently uh, 
bought a Datsun Roadster, and I, I don't even want to sit in them. I, I, I know they're kind of, you know, I know they're going to rattle. I guess, I guess I like that <laughs> a Porsche does not rattle, and and the way uh, the way that car feels going down the road or around the race track, there's just to me, there's nothing like it. And I think a lot of people may probably feel the same way. What do you do? So do you, do you buy everything that you find, or do you run across a lot of, let's say, horses, previous fixes that you kind of go, all right, well, this is kind of cool, but this is really not me. I pass on. What do you do with those cars? You're firm so to somebody? Funny, well, I don't really find them. So, so uh, that car in Brooklyn that I mentioned earlier, that car, right. um, I guess the guy came into some money in 1968 because he had that 911, and he also had a matched pair of 1968 Triumph motorcycles. Um, I bought those motorcycles because it was just, you know, the, the daughter of this gentleman gave me such a great deal, and I knew they were cool. I mean, they were, they were original paint Triumph motorcycles. How could I go wrong? You know, so sometimes I will buy something different if I find it, but I, I'm i so focused on Porsche that I don't even find, you know, the the leads that come to me or the people that call me probably would never even call me on a, on a different brand. Um, so I don't usually. Uh, and, 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 I mean, the motorcycles were a good deal for me, but if I venture out of Porsche... I usually get clobbered. So even my kids will make fun of me. You know, I, I bought a BMW uh, three liter uh, CSI once and I thought, wow, this is such a spectacular car. How could not everybody, you know, want to pay big money for this thing? Look at it compared to a 911. And they've certainly grown. This was maybe 10 years ago. They've, of course, grown in more popularity and they've gone up. But I got clobbered on that car. I think I lost, I think I lost money at the end of the day. And and had to do a dance to get it sold. So I, you know, as I said, even my kids know that I, I you know, with Porsche, I can hit it out of the park with the cars I find and, and the buyers that want them. But if it comes to anything else, I'm, I'm handicapped with it. So What's I'm the smart furthest you... Go ahead. I said, so I'm smart enough at this point to not even try. <laughs> okay. What's the furthest you've gone to go hunt down a Porsche, and in other words, in terms, you got a lead. What's the furthest you've gone, and you got lucky? Oh gosh! So uh, I've been fortunate enough to get lucky a lot of times, and what is even more unbelievable is I don't have to travel that much for it. But really? I mean, I've gone to California. That's where I found the spider. So I have gone across country and and. And that's how I found the bought the spider. Um, and I've traveled to Florida. Uh, I was down in Florida, and recently, this is over the winter, I, I found a car that I had been looking for for years. It was a, a 68 911 factory race car uh, that was campaigned uh, uh, by Don Burns Porsche out in California. Uh, Alan Johnson was the driver, and uh, that car won the GT class at Sebring. Um, and uh, I had been looking for it, and you know, I tried. I, I tried figuring out what the chassis number could have been, and I just I had I had the twin to the car. It was one of two cars, and even with that information, I just couldn't find the car. And one day, an acquaintance called me and said, "I found this old race car, and I think it's something special." And sure enough, there was the car. You know, um, 
we get really That's lucky sometimes because the factory Cardex will show an owner's name, and when you can get a Cardex, that's the build sheet from car, from Porsche. When you can get mm-hmm. a Cardex with an owner's name, I mean, that's the best piece of documentation you could have. So sometimes I get really lucky that way. Uh, I bought uh, a Daytona. What part of Florida? What part of Florida did you that find car, that car? That car was in the that car was in the Tampa area, but it had been no it had been in Arizona just before that. Um, so you know they. They move around a lot, and they're hit. You know, these cars are hidden around. Um, I had one car that had been sitting. I still really don't know where it was sitting. I, I never have been able to get a straight answer. But it had been. It was uh, a Daytona winner for the GT class in 1970, and that car just disappeared. And uh, but I knew that one. I had bought another race car from the original owner of that car and he had saved the paperwork. So I had a chassis number to go by at that point. And with the help of a private detective, I was able to find out that the car had been registered in 2015 and titled to get it out of the country. Uh, So I did some backtracking to the person who titled the car. It wound up being Chuck Beck, who produces the Beck Spider and he had titled the car to sell it to somebody in Germany or or somebody in Germany had bought it and he was helping this gentleman get it out of the country. Uh, So that car made it all the way back to Germany. And I'm calling Chuck back saying, hey, uh, I heard you had this old 911 and, uh, you know, it it went, you know, you still have it. Oh, well, that car went back to Germany. You know, why do you want it? So that was a well, you know, the car is important to me. Uh, it belonged to a friend. You, know, you can't, you know, you can't just spill the tell the whole story because you know you'll never get the car. So, uh, long story short, uh, my phone rings, you know, the next day from a gentleman in Germany, and uh, you know, hey, why do you want this car? You know, it's just an old nine, a rusty nine eleven. Uh, well, you can't come out and say it won its class at Daytona. And it's a, you know, really significant old 911 race car, you know. So uh, after that conversation, I guess he may have Googled me and I get a text saying, when you tell me the history of the car and, you know, I'll help you get it. So uh, eventually uh, through a mutual uh, friend of, of this gentleman in Germany, so the world is really small, uh, he helped me get the car. Uh, all I would tell him was it was a race car, uh, and I wouldn't tell him the history until after I got the car, which I did. Um, but then the silly part was the Cardex had the, the original owner and driver's name on it all along. So had he just done a little research, he could have figured it out. Um, but the saving grace with that car was it had deteriorated to a point that uh, it went to Germany, and they didn't really know or, the, or they weren't really prepared for such a restoration as a streetcar. And uh, so they were just sitting on it. So they probably thought I was just some sucker coming along. And they offloaded it to me for a, a pretty good price, which is uh, which was good because I had to bring it back. And it is, uh, it, it's close to having the metal work done. And, uh, and I actually hope to have that car at the next Brinsport reunion. Pretty special car. Ralph Meany's Daytona winner. Wow. Fascinating story, um, Don. I know you had some engagement you had to go. Are you do you get on time right now? Are we okay with you? Um, I, I got about five more minutes, and then uh, I, of course, okay. I'd always be happy to speak with you again. 
Super, yeah. Well, why don't you go ahead and give us one more great story? Because these stories are fascinating. I mean, I, I, I kind of do what you do on a small scale, but I don't do just horses. I, I, anything I can is kind of cool, but I love hearing stories like this. It's just, to me, it's sure. fascinating. Uh, oh, I've got a hundred of them. Um, maybe more. <laughs> uh, I bought an original paint speedster from a sheriff's auction once, which was pretty good. Uh, I had gotten the lead from... Uh, from actually one of my old siding contractors back from my house building days. Uh, hey, my brother's with the sheriff's department, and they're going to be auctioning a Porsche Speedster. And uh, that's all he knew. So, uh, and it was very local to me, like, you know, a mile away kind of a deal. So I went to the towing company to, uh, you know, they really didn't have a lot of information, no chassis number, nothing. And I'm thinking it's a, you know, a fiberglass uh on a VW pan replica. So I go to the towing company. Uh, hey, you know, I heard you have an old speedster here that's going to be auctioned. Uh, you know, can I take a look at it? And and they wouldn't take a look. And, you know, in New York, I, I guess I put my New York on and I tried giving them a $100 bill to see the car. And that didn't work. <laughs> Couldn't grease the tow guy. So anyhow, um, you know, after that, you know, it, this was right after New Year's. And uh, the terms of the auction was cash only. You couldn't leave the auction to go to the bank. You had to physically have the cash on. So, you know, now I'm like, well, I don't, you know, I don't own a pizza place or a deli where I have cash in a box. So I have to go to the bank. And now I'm like, you know, I have to withdraw something to try to get this car because you don't know, you know, you don't know if it's a replica or you don't know if what it really turned out to be. So I showed up there with a, a computer bag just filled with bundles of cash. And uh, I had come down with the flu and actually almost didn't go to the auction. I was just sick as a dog. But something made me go, and, and I went. You know, what made me go was the possibility that it could be good. So I go there, and there's like, there must be 50 guys. And, you know, there's like Long Island, non-Porsche, body shop kind of guys, or guys looking for deals. And I'm just saying, oh, this is going to be great. And uh, long story short, they roll the car out. It's an original paint, unrestored, 57 Speedster. Uh, it had belonged to a doctor who committed uh, insurance fraud on a pretty massive level that, that put him in federal prison. And one of his two ex-wives had a judgment against him. And uh, they auctioned that car that day. Um, this is going back maybe 2012. And uh, it was funny. There were 29 registered bidders. I only had one person bidding against me, and uh, I shook them pretty quick, and I bought that car that day for something like $50,000. And that was back when those, still those cars were a lot more valuable than that. So oh, it was yeah. a good day. And, uh, you know, of course, I took care of the, the guy who gave me the lead. I had him come by, and I, I handed him a stack, and I gave him $5,000, a big hug. And, uh, you know, I, I actually decided to sell that car uh, not long after. And, uh, and it wound up in California. It was detailed for preservation. And uh, I know the owner was tickled to own it. So, yeah. So you never really know. I guess the moral of the story is to, you know, if you're thinking about these cars all the time and you're talking and you're networking, is the leads kind of come to you. Uh, especially if you're willing to take care of the other guy. You know, if you're going to 
find out about a car from somebody and buy the car and make some money and not go take care of that other person, then, you know, the, the universe is not going to keep bringing you leads. Um, so, you know, I guess if I can uh, instill anything, it's just, you know, network and be really good to others. And, you know, you'll have more leads and more cars than you'll probably be able to buy and sell. So that's been my story. Well, that's a great story. Uh, Don, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with the Cicada Cars. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, my pleasure. We need, to, we need to do this again. I enjoyed the stories and uh, can't wait to hear sure. some more. So in the meantime, you take care. And uh, if you people too. want to find out more about you, how do they do it? Uh, they can go to right to my web, website, which is poorsport.com. That's short for Porsche Sport. So P-O-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram, P-O-R underscore sport. And uh, Instagram's, you know, a great thing. And I generally put all of the cars that I find on there first. So if you are looking for a car, you know, that's where I kind of preview everything before uh, these cars go live on the open market. So follow me on Instagram. Sounds good. Well, you have a great evening. And uh, thank you again. And I look forward to meeting you someday. Same here. Thank you, Robert. Hey, by the way, you're going to be in Monterey this summer? I am not. I'm skipping Monterey this year. Uh, I'm going to start my events again probably uh, with Amelia Island uh, in March. And uh, I may go out to California in uh, in September for for an event out there, a 356 event. But I've been kind of low-key for a while here. Okay. Well, super. If you're going, have fun. I wish I was there. All right. Well, you take care. Thanks again. You too. Have a good night. I want to thank my special guest, Don Ahern, the Porsche treasure hunter. Good luck. Thank you. Okay, well, that was an interview that we did uh, earlier this afternoon, and I apologize for the uh, poor quality on my end. I was sitting in my truck, and uh, you can't really tell. I mean, it sounded okay. Um, it's, what's interesting is when you're doing these interviews sometimes and you're sitting in your vehicle and you're on the phone, because sometimes, you know, I, I'm out in California or I'm at SEMA or someplace like that. I do live interviews over my phone. Um calling directly into the studio and they don't really sound that bad but maybe this time because i was on speakerphone that probably wasn't the smart idea smartest thing to do so you live and learn but all in all uh don's a pretty cool guy he's got some pretty formidable stuff uh you know in his collection i mean we had tom shaughnessy on our show last year sometime or the year before and tom's another one he's out there and he finds some interesting stuff. Jerry Heasley's been on our show. He's another barn fine hunter kind of guy. Um, we've had uh, um, Carter. I can't think of his last name, his first name right now. But uh, he's been on our show. He's the one that found the Cobra in the in the, in the Daytona in the um, in the uh, in the barn up there in, in North Carolina, and in, in kind of a. A house that was being sold by some people. Um, personally, I mean, I ran across a guy that dug out some interesting, dug out a 1930, no, 29 Packard Ralston bodied, Ralston bodied Packard, kind of a funky looking car. Um, 
uh, Phaeton, kind of an interesting car, and there was a 65 Lincoln Continental convertible and some other weird stuff in there. But the stuff is out there. And like like Don said, that you know, as, as we're going through this generational shift, some of these guys are older now. They're getting rid of their stuff. So there's going to be a glut of stuff out there. So whatever you're looking for, if you're still looking for it, Hold your hopes up because chances are you'll find it. I mean, if you're if you're fine with something that's in barn fine condition and you can tweak on it, leave it a little original. That's what people want. You know, they don't really want restored cars that much anymore. I mean, yes, if something's really really bad, it's a very very unique car. Obviously, it's you know it's worth a ton of money restored. You can put the money in to restore it, but you know if it's your basic car and you find a stumble on an old Mustang sitting in a barn or something like that or an old Camaro, those cars aren't really worth restoring. Just fix them up, tidy them up, make them run and drive, and enjoy them because the patina the age the the story is what makes those cars so fascinating that's what's really really cool about that so regardless of whether it's a porsche or a mustang or a jaguar or a chevelle or a b-body mopar or something like that you know they're all pretty cool cars get out there and find those cars hunt them things down you know and uh that's all i can say you know and don't forget to drive your cars tommy thanks a lot uh, don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. Don't forget to follow us on some of our social media, which is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think we're on all that good stuff. Um, if you find any cool, interesting cars, you know, go to my website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. Send me a hey there, hi there, ho there, and maybe I can find you something. In the meantime, I want everybody to stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.